Audi. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to the Big Travel Podcast, episode 34. I'm Lisa Francesca Nand. I'm actually fresh out of hospital after unexpectedly having my appendix out last week and missing for the first week ever an episode of the Big Travel Podcast. But I'm back on track now and I have to say I've got a seriously good lineup of guests who have agreed to come on the podcast. I don't usually like mentioning people by name until the interview is in the bag because of obvious reasons of caused things can change. However, I am going to tell you this time that I've got yeses from Newsnight's Kirsty Walk, journalist John Simpson, who is probably one of our most recognisable correspondents. He was at Tiananmen Square, he was at the fall of the Berlin Wall and much more. Helen Zaltzman from The Illusionist and the Answer Me This podcasts, who's probably the queen of podcasting, so she's a real coup to get on. And Danny Baker, who I accosted at a festival on the weekend. Uh, see, I'm never switched off. I'm always working hard to try and find the best guests for you. Eddie Nestor from BBC London has said yes, and I just need to tie up a date with him. And several other people that I'm still working on. So if just half of those people agree to be on, I will be so pleased. But like I said, they have agreed to be on. I just need to make a date. So watch this space. Let's see how we get on. If you have any guest suggestions, anyone you'd like me to have a go at contacting, I don't mind how high profile. I mean, all they can say is no, right? Do get in touch. It's lisa at thebigtravelpodcast.com. We also have a Facebook group, The Big Travel Podcast on Facebook. We're also on Twitter at Big Travel Pod or I'm LF Nand on Twitter, Lisa Francesca Nand. Just search and you will find me. So on to today's guest. journalist and life coach Felicity Morse spent much of her teens wiped out with chronic fatigue and when she did get better began working on super yachts in the south of France from which time she has the craziest of stories from sailing with the world's richest to traveling solo and discovering her surprising Native American heritage Felicity is all about the human connection and is with us now on the big travel podcast. You come across as a really nice person, and I've just read your book. I read it over the weekend. It's really, really quick, easy to read. Well, was that the intention? <laughs> yeah, it was. That it's like really readable, 
I've read a lot of self-help books and I think there's a lot that's in value that of value in lots of them but like if you do them and study them but fundamentally you still want something that's readable because my husband is a counsellor if you come to my house you'd look you'd think we were the most screwed up people in the world because it's all self-help books but they're really very very useful right and I've I've also done this interesting thing where whenever I if you take the book like to a pub or like on holiday and like which people talk to you with which self-help book so everybody avoids you like the plague if you're reading about sex addiction but like if it's like recovering from trauma oh my god it's like the men just come swarm at you like the, the men yeah they like, they like a damsel in distress do you think? right I think there's just like ah. what trauma has she suffered that's very interesting have you done that as an experiment or is it just I think I should do some more Moses? but like the trauma one it was really noticeable right because I read reading pubs like read on the tube or like wherever you're sitting somewhere yeah that one was really noticeable and then someone finally actually told me it was like yeah I was really interested because yeah, wondered what it was. Even if you haven't been through something traumatic, and everyone's been through something traumatic, I'm right. sure. But if you wanted to attract people in your direction, you could just sit in the pub reading how to get over well, I, sex I, addiction. I think that's why everybody's fascinated by it because I think everybody has gone through something. Like it's just a level of like how aware you are of it, which is why you know some people. You know, there's a lot of talk about like being woke, waking up, and like being alive and like confronting your stuff. And I actually think. You know, if you can get away without doing it, like... <laughs> without waking up. Without waking up, without having to confront your stuff. Great. Like, you feel more alive, but also you have, like, this whole swathe of other rooms and doors that, like, you walk through and you open and you go back. Because it um, surfaces eventually, doesn't it? Your stuff your stuff surfaces eventually if you, you try and creep it, keep it as repressed as possible. Suddenly, right. years later, you go, that's why I'm such an idiot when it comes to... Right, or, like, somebody life. just, like, walks into you and it's like they're punching a bruise and you're like, wow, that was really hurtful what you did. And it's like, no, you just had a bruise there and you didn't realise it. Good analogy. Which I think happens quite a lot. I mean, some people, I think for a long time, I was, like walking around with like emotional limbs hanging off do you, do you mind saying what your trauma is? I just have like terrible fear of abandonment and I have this thing called complex PTSD which is like so you have a memory something traumatic happened to you as a child but it might not have been traumatic for an adult but as a child it felt like trauma what sort of examples so like? so how it shows up for me now is just you have a really strong emotional response but no memories to go with it and it could be like you know being under threat or being attacked but no memories just like a very visceral fear and it's why I'm actually kind of against the way people use the word triggered now and I used to use it a lot because when you're actually triggered like it's the most terrifying thing in the world it's like your body lets you down because you're having all these emotions so in one way there is no trauma right like, it's just, I have no memory. So I've got nothing to, like, work with or, like, redigest. It's just, like, okay, this is showing up in this place as this, like, big flashing, like, wave. And it's like, okay, how do you avoid doing that? How do you work with it? I've read a lot about, um, I've got two young children and I've read a lot about sleep training because they both mm. like to sleep with me <laughs> yeah which is kind of sweet in many ways but kind of bloody annoying when you just want to get a good night's sleep but I was against the whole sleep training thing because mm-hmm. if you I, I did do a little bit gentle sleep training that actually could be some of the things that you're talking about some sort of trauma that would be your mum abandoning you in a darkened room on your own you're right. a tiny baby so I said you, so it's you, not actually traumatic as an adult it's actually quite nice but it affects you long term yeah so I said to my mum um I said to her look I'm having this like this is coming this is coming up a 
lot. Like this is coming up and it's actually showing up because I think you start to like you clear off all the top layer of your kind of conditioning and things that are like holding you back or like your irritations and then you get to like the kind of bottom gunk and this is what sort of woke up. Anyway, I told my mum about it and she was like, Oh, but for see you've had this for years. Like you had it as a baby. Like I used to leave you and you'd cry all the time and I was like, Well maybe you could stop leaving me As somebody who's um, just left their children all weekend while I've been dancing and drinking in a festival and I'm feeling very bad about myself. No, but they were they didn't seem to be that unhappy about no. it. I'm sure it's fine. It's it's. I mean, everybody's different, right? And Do you think there's a growing? I don't know because I spend a lot of time on Twitter and social media. Mm-hmm. I'm really aware that a lot of people have anxiety and depression, and I have had you know anxious episodes mm-hmm. and very short depressive episodes in my past. But I think that was down to an actual an illness I had at the time, an underactive yeah. thyroid. But it seems like there's a lot of anxiety and depression. There's a lot of talk about it. There's a lot of talk about suicide there's a lot of talk about all these sort of things do you think there's a a growing trend towards either talking about these feelings or experiencing them right so I think people are getting much better at talking about them I don't think we're being taught how to listen well to those things I think it's going to be a case where it's got to be peer support in some way so people have to learn themselves how to handle it and how to listen to people because not everybody can go see a therapist. There just aren't enough therapists in the world. People don't have the money or People the resources don't. or probably don't might think that that's not for them. Right, so we actually have to like set up society in a structure that like can hold these difficult emotions. I think we also have to be careful around like the sort of messages that we're putting out. One of the reasons I really got disillusioned with news was because I'm like, well, I'm just confirming everybody's scared stories back to them and this is no good for people you're just feeding people's fear and judgment and then all the messages like we're in like this incredibly abundant society and all the adverts and messages are like around scarcity of like they're not being enough and that's going to create anxiety (laughs) it's using people's anxiety to buy stuff it's terrible really when you hear people say that i don't pay attention to the news anymore because it is too horrible you know the news is too bad and it does make you sort of nervous and anxious and I sort of veer I have had feelings of that and I thought no it's important to be engaged with the news and know know what's going on but there's so much news these days that it creates a a fear doesn't it where actually you're probably just as likely to have something happen to you as you were 10 20 years ago that hasn't changed but we hear about these things more therefore we're more aware of them. The best thing I've ever decided to do was just to trust that whatever would happen would happen and create a safety net if I needed one but otherwise just trust that I don't have any control over anything really (laughs) I think that's a that's a good way of looking at it I know you were whispering on about other things but I know you've got so many good really good travel stories for us but before we go on to that tell me very quickly what do you do and about your book that I've just read which I think is wonderful okay so can I swear uh, yes. Okay. So um, my book is called Give a Fuck, but it started out and it's about how to care without burning out. And it's basically just an introduction to things you could think about setting up for yourself so that you can take on big projects and challenges and care without disengaging with the world. Because I think it's hard to find that sweet spot in the middle where you're not shutting yourself off and switching the news off, but also not becoming so anxious and fearful that you're just becoming like a bit of a anxiety junkie or like fear junkie or whatever and tell us about your work why did you write this book so my connection with it is that I used to be a journalist and I have 
burnt out probably about twice in my life. I used to have chronic fatigue syndrome when I was like a overachieving 13 year old. And then I started to burn out again in 2015. And I was like, should I be a dog groomer? Like, you know, just like anything, you know, I had like a fund of money that was like, you know, going to be my escape route to go and like start a bar in Barbados or something. And I decided to use that money instead to sign up to be a life coach, not really to be a life coach, to get like seven months worth of coaching myself, really, with lots of other people. So that's the background to kind of writing it and like learning about some of these things. The thing I'm always interested in is like how to say things so people can hear them. A lot of people are saying the same things, right? They're just saying them in different ways and you can hear them in different ways. So just for me as well, like I've had therapy, I've had different types of therapy, I prefer coaching. I think for like traumatic stuff, it's really great to obviously the deeper the darker the stuff the more you want like a really qualified professional but coaching works really well for me the style right so we're going to get on to the travel because I could talk about the coaching and mental health and happiness and how to give a fuck we're going to swear on this podcast so I could talk about that forever but uh, we've got travel to do I noticed you said that about having chronic fatigue when you were 13 and that must have affected your ability to get around I mean you couldn't even get out of bed at some no I couldn't get out but I was like crawling around so my family from uh, America and or like my mum's side of the family and we were I was like falling asleep in San Francisco airport and just like woke up surrounded by like the cleaning staff there because I just kind of fallen asleep somewhere in a corner and I was really forgetful couldn't remember anything my mum would arrange to meet me somewhere and then I'd be like I have no idea what time it is or where I want to meet so yeah it did affect travel a lot but in a way you also go places in your head right And you think about places that you want to go and you look out. I think the most important thing for a sick person is having like a good window to look out of. And so you look out of that window and then you kind of go places and think about places you want to go. So shortly after when you did, thankfully, you became well again and you recovered. Was that a slow process? It was a really slow process. And then suddenly you're kind of well I mean I don't even know if I'm well now like I've been living with it for so long that it could be that I actually have less energy than other people I don't think that's the case but definitely for a while I was like okay well I'm just gonna have to kind of ration myself I will say that I was actually doing an incredibly difficult job when I left uni. I was, energy-wise, I went and worked as a stewardess in super yachts. Yes, this is what I wanted to Yeah, I know, I was trying to segue that. Because this sounds amazing hard work hideous shocking fun and all you know dish the dirt on the super okay okay so I worked on lots of different boats worked on the King of Qatar's boat I remember him getting on board and I was down in the laundry with like uh this other Nepalese guy who's taught me how to iron like an absolute pro because I remember these underpants coming down and I did not realize they were underpants and they were like silk they were ginormous right I was like I was like these aren't underpants like what this is a dressing gown I remember putting the iron on and like burning a great big hole in the middle of them because they were silk as well and getting shout out by this uh, Nepalese guy so that was fascinating the level of money is just people can do whatever they want right I was on this charter for like four weeks when was this in France yeah this is in south of France and they just went back and forth can Saint-Tropez can Saint-Tropez can Saint-Tropez and like to park it this was 10 years ago now but to park your boat or more in Saint-Tropez it's a grand a meter for 24 hours so we're on a 47 meter boat that's 47 grand car parking spot for the night wow 
I that's more expensive in central London. <laughs> it is, isn't it? And then there's all sorts of things like there's a lot of prostitutes as well come on board and you have to kind of you have to be careful like knocking like uh notching them in and out because they can be associated by organize with organized crime on the courts they want to like get on the boat check out where the boat's going and then like jump on later i remember one time so we were at anchor outside saint-tropez and the chief stewardess she came down and she was like okay right there was about six women on board who were kind of being paid to be there and they were like the girlfriends making a surprise visit so there's going to be somebody come and take the the paid women the, the paid women off the boat shortly so they were being taken off one side of the boat as the girlfriend was coming in the other she was like here's the key go and lock up all their rooms and pack bags for them with their like swimming suit like enough for like the day and lock the door behind you when you're in the room as well so I did that. Then I got a call saying, can you go to shore and get 200 bed of roses? So I was like, okay, this is fun. <laughs> like, I'm just being this like man's personal assistant for his love life at the moment. So we did that, bought the red roses, which were really 200. hard. 200, they were really hard to find. They were really hard to find. Got back, the roses were delivered, she left, then then all the girls came back again. So yeah. how did you get the job? I've been reading that the super yacht hostessing thing has been in the news quite a lot recently because there was this tragic case. I think she was an Australian girl who was found dead on the back of a boat and I think it's suspected suicide and her friend or someone who knew her someone who was on the same super yacht scene said it was a very they were strictly vetted compared uh, in terms of what they looked like they had to be a certain weight they had to be a certain look they were working 20 hours a day you know oh yeah for sure all of that stuff like when I landed in Antibes so the first thing is you do this thing called an STCW 95 which is basically fire training so it costs about a grand and that's because of the accelerated fire training. So you do um, what firefighters do after 16 weeks that you go into a burning building and all that stuff. So that that was interesting. But um, yeah, that's another thing course. to sign yourself up. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll go and work on a luxury boat. Oh, I've got to uh, become a firefighter <laughs> yeah. and run into, potentially run into a burning building. So so you get you land in Antibes and then like when I was in Antibes and then you basically just network your way around. So you stay in a crew house, which is like an expensive dirty hot hostel with lots of men and it's very unsafe it's like a hostel for unemployed people with like yachties with like lots of money and lots of cash who just have nothing to do all day while they're waiting for jobs that sounds like a t- somewhere that can be completely exploited if there were vulnerable it was, women yeah it was awful and it was all mixed dorms there was one room that i left because some men played a trick on me that was kind of slightly vindictive because I told them off for talking earlier in the day where they just jumped on top of my bunk and like shook me awake you just don't want to wake up in like a foreign country in a hostel with two men on your bed with with an eye mask and earplugs on but then you start networking and like people are like oh you're blonde and fairly intelligent like a captain would want you on his boat so it is very much like that it's the only place I think I've ever experienced such obvious sexism and there was nothing I could do about it the only way that to get status was to find a high status boyfriend did you find one yeah I did find one what's a high status boyfriend (laughs) so um yeah yeah so you want to get a captain or an engineer and you want to make sure that the boat they're from is big it's very basic and masculine (laughs) it's like the bigger the boat the more important they are so I started dating this captain of a 70 meter which oh, then a 70 meter. <laughs> I know right what a guy. <laughs> and then you know your stock rises on the boat you're on which is I'm crazy, sure it does but... <laughs> 
<laughs> so what sights have you seen? Did you see on the Super Yachts experience? Oh, the beautiful thing is that it is absolutely gorgeous. These boats are gorgeous and it's amazing that you can just sort of stand on deck sometimes and be like, wow, like I'm watching the sunset. It's incredible. But so many other sights, I think, you know, it's very casual labour. So people are coming in and out. They're like not behaving very well and then just like leaving. There's horrible things as well where like they make the day workers boys do really dangerous jobs and won't the boat I was on the captain was so cross that these boys had that some of the crew had done that that he made them do it for a month but you want a captain like that really and just you would shake out trousers in the morning you know when you go and kind of pick up all the laundry and there'd be like about three grand for that like regularly it was just mad the amount of money floating around would you have to clean up all their rubbish after like wild parties yeah i got told off because i i went to clean this bathroom and i messaged my friend on the radio saying can you please tell me whether the vip in the aft deck still has hair on his chest because i was like if he doesn't then i know what i'm cleaning up here Just everywhere. Seriously, you can just yeah, leave everywhere. it there. In your book, I think you describe picking up condoms and. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, all of that stuff. You just become kind of really. I don't know why. I was just stopped caring about it. Like, I just kind of checked out a little bit and I was like, right, remember all my French vegetables. And now I'm going to go through and do all the French fruits. <laughs> really <laughs> valuable for uh, for not much unless you want to go grocery shopping in France, which, you know what? I like grocery shopping in France. I think that could be a, a valuable education. Mm hmm. Also in your book, you talk about how fascinating it was getting the, an insight into the super rich and how they got their money and then what they did with their money. Right. There's this really interesting place where there's still hierarchy no matter how rich you get. And these people are like incredibly wealthy, right? I worked on Jay-Z and Beyonce's when they were on holiday they didn't have a yacht but they were taking a yacht on holiday and like they were some of the poor people you know were you on the boat with them yeah i went on one i think they do it every year but yeah i did a charter with them they're really chilled actually they just kind of ate fried chicken and played video games <laughs> and like took lots of showers and went swimming like it wasn't a party oh yeah it wasn't they a party went. boat yeah were they nice to you yeah, they're lovely. And they had like a wee picture with us afterwards. And then Beyonce left her lip gloss behind, which was Mac. And I took it and I was like, it's Beyonce's lip gloss. Oh, wow. Like You've got yourself a 14 quid lip gloss. <laughs> yeah, um, were they generous to you? Do they do anything or they just sort of pay you? Or they, you know? They're just nice. They're nice. I mean, like there are some people who are not nice. Hmm. Just the <laughs> Dr. Phil and his wife were not nice. Who's Dr. Phil? <laughs> Dr. Phil is like that guy in the, that psychiatrist in the... Oh, the big American guy. Yeah, yes. like the... And his wife was, his wife made our chief stew cry. She was like, the boat's dirty on the outside. And the boat? Right. And so the boys would, like, the crew outside were having to, like, wash her twice a day. But, like, obviously it gets sprayed with water, like, it's in the sea. So, and she was like, yeah, it just keeps on getting sprayed. Like, I can see it. It's like, yeah, yeah. In, in yeah, water. see it spraying <laughs> it. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, you know, you had the people who were just playing, right? They were just, they were, had the jet skis. They were, like, spending loads of money, a bit like the charter guests I was talking about. They were just, like, buying toys, right? And then the people after that, kind of the next tier up, those people had maybe had their money for a little longer were less into like all the sex and the toys and the showing off and the Bentleys and all of this stuff but they wanted power so they were quite often like politicians or trying to do something in that way like involved with the government and the people who had loads of money like 
you know, Bill Gates style, they were becoming kind of like philanthropists and that was what they were interested in. Interesting to see how like when you have as much money as you want, what do you want next? Do you want to just play? Then after you've played for a bit, you get bored of playing, you want to do something else. You're like, I still don't feel important, so you want power. And then after that, you kind of want to like give something back or like do something good. And I don't think like we necessarily have to have 30 billion to get to that point and realize that actually that's the thing that we're after but maybe everybody has like a process with it right so if you don't get enough play you don't want power and you can't give anything back so maybe it's just like how you can have all three of them in your life and know which one's right for what situation we do get good people doing very good things i know when my my grandmother bless her god rest her soul uh used to live in this lovely area called the Wirral, and all around the area Everyone is, everyone just does stuff for each other. You know, you've got people that take an old lady to hospital or invite them around for tea or drive them to their doctor's appointment or drive them to see their friend who lives far away. And just those sort of small acts of kindness. And actually, it reminds me of something in my research view that someone was writing on the comments section of the Daily Mail. Now, for any UK listener, and actually in the States as well, the Daily Mail comment section online is a bit of a nest of vipers, isn't it? There's Mm -hmm. some crazy people on there. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they will just pick apart a story and it's vicious you know people will hide behind their keyboards and say the most horrible things sometimes won't they I'm sure you get sane people doing it as well but there's a lot of vitriol on there and you responded to a lady on there who said she was lonely and had no friends what tell me that story oh hey do you want to like come for tea like round about Christmas and was it your article she was replying no I was just randomly reading it and like it was such a sad comment that she wrote about like how she had lots of stuff but she just felt like terribly lonely and I realise now I was probably horrifically lonely as well which is why I was like oh my god I feel so moved by this I must do something but I think I was like struggling with my own version of loneliness as well anyway like it massively snowballed and it was like just before Christmas and I was like wow I need a venue for 100 people with no budget and none of these people I know how did it snowball was it on the mail yeah so I like wrote about it I was like if you want to get involved tell me and the mail were kind of I was working at the BBC at the time and they were like do not reply to any press inquiries from the mail like they will try and own this which is probably good advice although it would have been quite fun to have it there now so I started to like set that up and you know I was going around like knocking on all the kind of church doors and then the different religions and I was like well the Quakers help and then like it was the Baptists help in the end um, is there any room at the end yeah yeah but the funniest thing was like so we did it it was great we sang some carols and we brought a guitar and there was this really interesting bit where someone would come in and they would be like that person I can tell they're so lonely they needed cheering up like I'm so glad I'm here to be here for them and then the person who they'd been talking to came in and said the exact same thing about them. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, okay, who's helping who? Here? Oh, it's lovely. Yeah. And I really like the way that you, you're you really living the philosophy of your book. It reminds me a little bit, I've just finished June Sampong's Diversify. I'm hoping to mm. persuade her to be on the podcast. And she talks a lot about that as well, about sort of opening up and not just opening up to people who are in your your community, your, your work, your sightline, as it were, already, mm-hmm. but to the other person you know to the the person who is your opposite who you'd actually maybe sort of recoil from you know for many reasons and mm. sort of opening up that sort of community you know what, what's connection 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 yes. that's the thing and it's like how do you connect with people like how do you 
work through your own stuff enough so that you can be vulnerable enough to like connect with someone and there's something I've been thinking about a lot you know where they say put yourself before somebody else to and it's like not so much to look after yourself yeah because that's and there's that thing right and there's also like how can you actually put yourself in front of somebody else how can you come in like a whole and like like lay yourself out before someone to like connect and I think the biggest turning point for me or like in terms of like a philosophy is like Brené Brown who is amazing she's like a research professor she did this great TED talk about vulnerability and it's just like how can you make yourself consciously vulnerable how can you say okay this is what it is I'm not actually angry it's just five minutes ago or like five talks ago I got my feelings hurt and I closed down and now I'm just shouting but actually like I just want you to hear me and it's so interesting I mean I think it almost works like layers for me so there's like resentment at the top and then there's fear underneath resentment and then underneath fear is like basically love and it's like how can you drop down quickest without taking drugs right (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting drugs this this has reminded me of the 90s you know when it was all sort of like love and the clubs and everything Mm -hmm. like that you drop down straight to the to the everyone's loving each other yeah Uh, and probably in the 60s as well yeah well you need a bit you need some boundaries as well which I think were brought in in the 80s (laughs) from what I understand it's it's cyclical isn't it boundaries love boundaries love boundaries love yeah 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 (laughs) I'm not I'm not saying anyone should take drugs by the way well if you are just do it just do it safely just do it consciously and do it with approval Um, so I'm almost thinking about looking at thinking of yourself first I'm using as a travel analogy is that when you're on the airplane and they say put your mask on first because if you don't have your mask on and you're not breathing and you're not working properly how can you help anyone else right it's so interesting and like I've not been in I'm in a relationship now but I hadn't been for like six years so I've done a lot of traveling on my own yes tell me about your traveling traveling on your own is like a really interesting way of like observing yourself who you want to talk to like I always like set myself challenge of talking to like three people a day just like how can you somehow get into somebody else's space when they might not want to talk to you um and that sounds a little bit violating but it's it's more like how can you I think, I personally think everybody's dying for connection or like, wait, wait until they say no, actually I'm reading my book or like, no, I don't want to talk. You can usually judge when somebody's open or shut because you do need to talk to people on holiday. And I remember the worst, I made, a, I made a big mistake in going to Ibiza on my own and then Formentera, which is like the island opposite, which is amazing. Mm. It's like the Caribbean. But I made the mistake because everybody was in like these ginormous packs in Ibiza that had all gone together and that's then it becomes really hard because people get quite tribal how do you kind of talk to somebody there and then when I went to Formentera everybody's in couples right and so then it's again like oh this is another unit how do I connect in that place as well without feeling like an outsider but this is the thing right it's all your own it's always all your own stuff like everybody feels like an outsider everybody thinks they don't belong everybody thinks they're either too much or not enough or both at the same time and everybody's scared of getting rejected what's the best way to sort of approach people I think you have to want to right there is a place where like sometimes because of social media I think you get that little bit of like social hit without actually having to speak to people because you can sit there with your phone these days yeah so you can sit there with your phone and like you don't ever get to that point where you're like god I'm actually dying to talk to someone just be aware if you're kind of avoiding yourself by doing that or like avoiding people by doing that I would also say breakfast 
Breakfast at the hotel is the best way to talk to people. Stick around after breakfast. You think like going out for a drink in the evenings. No, it's breakfast around the pool. The hotel is quite important. So you sort of bond over like the eggs. It's like, what are you going to have? Yeah, or like, what are you going to do today? Like when people are really up for talking then. Yeah. Or ask somebody for advice. That's a great one as well. So tell me some of the other places you've been. Where have you been? Where have I been? A lot of the Mediterranean. I lived in Genoa for a month which is a really interesting city because it's kind of medieval and dark and, and a bit industrial as well it's isn't like, it? in, yeah it's like industrial but like beautiful and like kind of dangerous like all these port cities are a bit dangerous there's more crime than usual south of france i remember going to south of france and thinking like god i can finally understand why the french are arrogant because it's <laughs> so pretty it's so beautiful. beautiful it's just the big glistening sea and the towns mm. and the villages and the sky and it's just lovely food wine yeah. i've been to america a lot because my uh mum is from south dakota and actually weirdly enough for somebody in the uk anyway like my great great grandmother was native american so she was taken from her family when they did forcible adoptions and she was put into an irish family and called mary finity wow that's it's- fascinating what do you know about her i don't know very much about her at all other than like she actually died in childbirth and that she has no birth certificate, which is one of the reasons that like we knew that this had happened. And also you can track all the documents of like people arriving on boats like from Hamburg or like Ireland or whatever. And she just kind of appears out of nowhere. And then you can also see it in the pictures. And then we kind of traced it back with like the tribes and kind of put a lot together. And then because one of her daughters became a nun, they had like good pictures. Tell me more about the forced adoption. They took people, so they wanted to basically wipe out or like integrate. They wanted to integrate like Native Americans with like the people that are already there. So I, my understanding is that they took children or said like one child you would get paid and they would like adopt them into another family. All of this stuff sounds like incredibly brutal now. And like when she died, her five children were put in an orphanage, even though the dad was still alive. He's called George, he's from Ontario. And he paid the orphanage five dollars a year to make sure that those five children were not adopted into other families so that he could still come to see them. I guess he probably had to work, you know, yeah. and couldn't look after five kids on his own. Right, and they're all farmers as well. And South Dakota is the weirdest place like I've been there and it's just flat it's flat like so completely flat and um so my grand was a GI bride and that's how she ended up going from like Leeds to South Dakota or she would write home and she would say she would say to her mum oh they eat these cucumbers here with vinegar like tiny cucumbers with vinegar and they're terrible which of course is like pickles and then she kind of caused a rumpus because she started walking and she was like I need to just drive a car so she walked to the nearest gas station last year she could walk with the car to like drive around and I think they're a bit mean to her there because she was from Leeds and she was kind of young and British and pretty so like they're like strangled chickens in front of her and like all this stuff yeah what, what period are we talking what year would that be this would be like 1940, 1950, 1960, maybe 1955. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that helps me sort of visualise it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's some really uh, great pictures of them. Like, not, this is like not so much my grandma, but like older than that, uh, of them with like a horse and buggy, you know, one of those real old fashioned buggies. I was reading the other day about some of the many things that, you know, the settlers did to try and eradicate the Native Americans. And one of the things they did was try and kill off all the buffalo because that's how they, they lived, they worked, they ate, they used them for shelter and yeah. food. I mean, it was just so much 
so much violence. Mm. There's like violence against the land, violence against the people. And fundamentally, like it was self-destructive. We did some harsh things. You know, when you talk about like Brits and Americans and the difference, that's that's our history of all of us. Those are the people that left here and went there. So these are our the people that we all have in common and you know mm-hmm. the british did some terrible things I, I as a i'm half british and half fiji indian from a colony as well my dad's from a colony wow. so um i know all about that anyway it's a completely different subject are you doing anything more to try and find out about your Native American No, relative. I should go back there. I actually don't like South Dakota very much <laughs> because it's so flat. So I don't want to go back to like Aberdeen, which is this like one room airport. I've um, never been to South Dakota. I have to admit you're not selling it well to me now. Do I need to go or can no, I just No, I think out? you can leave it. I mean, I remember going and we were kind of 30 miles from where we needed to be. And we walked into this like dusty bar where, you know, the only sound is like of those beads that you kind of walk through and then there's like a, a fan that looks like it's trying to like give up on life and like a few blue bottles and somebody was like oh you must be like the Mertzes ready to and it's like they just know everyone sounds like something out of a film it's yeah. I'm just I'm actually thinking it sounds like um the Blues Brothers <laughs> yeah like it's just and then you and then everybody kind of hunts and shoots and fishes it would be interesting to find out more like there's a lot of documents but like there's hardly any photos and I think the trail's gone a bit cold it's hard when there's um, no records my sister had her DNA done and like had like really fascinating DNA, but they don't even have enough DNA from like some of those tribes because so many people have been killed off to like match it. But you could get, I'm sure you could get more done on that. My sister was already to go live on a reservation, to be honest. Has she changed her name yet? <laughs> no, she's not changed her name yet. I keep on getting sent lots of pictures though. I look forward to uh, to interviewing your sister <laughs> when she's on the reservation. Do you like the States other than South Dakota? I absolutely love California. Like, I absolutely love it. Like, it's my favourite climate. I love it. It's by the coast. I really like the healthy outdoors lifestyle. I would really love to move out of London for that reason. I think it's really hard to be outside. Like, there's a lot to do like culturally, but it's quite heavy. And I think California's a much lighter, much more of a lighter feel. I've started to think about cities in terms of whether they're heavy or light. And I feel like London's like got a lot of gravity, like it's heavy. A lot of, of all history, the history, a lot yeah. of buildings, everything weighing it down. Mm-hmm. But also it's darker, isn't it, because of the weather. And California does have that beautiful, beautiful Pacific coast light. Right. I just think it's so interesting how the people start to like take on the attributes of what's around them. Like they start to kind of become part of their land as well. And how even just that being an islander is so such a different lighter kind of feel i'm going to corfu and they say in corfu like they don't have much money but they live like kings and i really do think that they do and i remember like almost like stealing a lemon off this woman's tree in her front garden and she came out and i was like oh my god i'm so sorry and she was like no 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 and like came out with like three bags of lemons to give me because they just have so much they'll like give them to anyone that island i just think is is so beautiful i love it there i think it's great i'm gonna ask you my last question which is always about music because to me music and travel go hand in hand god you've made me really want to travel now and i've only come back just come back from six weeks in spain but now i'm thinking california i love it so much i wish i could just book a ticket it's not that easy though it's not that easy is it right but if you do go go norwegian because they have flights for 150 quid yes norwegian is a really good option for Mm. cheap flights now that's opened up that transatlantic route yeah like you're not going to be set back like 
600, 800 pounds anymore. Right. It is my last question is always about music because I think music and travel to me very much go hand in hand because you've got more time and people mm-hmm. enjoy listening to music when they're on their journeys. But if you had to choose one song that reminds you of a place or a moment or a good or bad moment in travel, it's not necessarily always going to be your favourite artist. Uh, it's quite funny for some people, but um, what would that song be? Oh, when I was working on boats, I used to play music all the time. And there was just one CD player in the laundry, which was the Lily Allen album with, what is it? It was like 20, when I was 21, The Fear, that, that whole album. And I just know all of it, like off by heart. And it brings me back, like, to that place, like, the whole time. Yeah, it wouldn't be necessarily like saying, like, this is my song. But that, it takes me back to that place. You know, pottering around the laundry, there being all those like different kind of cleaning smells. Thinking about the lyrics in the song as well, because I was kind of like 21 or 22 there. And it talks about kind of being older and like 30 and how you feel as a woman then. It's interesting for me now that I am 30 to just think back to like my younger self and how I was singing along, but I didn't really get it. It was just like all lighthearted, but there is... You know, some of the women that I were working with were older and I'm not going to say fallen out of life, but there is something when like when you're traveling a lot and working like as a stewardess, there is this thing where you're like not very rooted. And, you know, there are a lot of people with a lot of pain as well. A lot of people running from something and like wanting to escape. I suppose like it's just that thing where you sense something in someone else that you don't really realise what it is until like much later. We'll end it there. Thank you so much for coming on the Big Chubby podcast. That was really enjoyable. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Thank you so much again Felicity and thank you for listening to the Big Travel Podcast. Remember you can connect with us too on iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, via the website, wherever. See you next week for more life stories through travel. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.